Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today I'm joined by Maria, the producer at Do Dreams, Lucy, producer at Nitro Games, Brian, senior producer at Next Games and Netflix Game Studio, and Lowry, producer at Metacore, to discuss what makes a great producer. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, and Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we begin, let's start with some introductions. Brian, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, hello, I'm Ryan. Uh, as mentioned, I'm a senior producer at Next uh, um, Games and uh, Netflix Studio. I've uh, been working in uh, free play games and mobile games for about the past 12 years now um, in various uh, QA and production capacities. Great. And Yussi. Okay. Hi. Uh, Yussi. I'm in a producer in uh, Nitro Games, and uh, I'm actually pretty new to the gaming industry. I've been here for a bit less than a year now. And Maria? Hello, everyone. I'm Maria from Do Dreams, and I have been here in the industry for five years. I'm very fond of on the team development and leadership in general. And finally, Lowry. Hey, hey, I'm Lowry. I'm currently a producer at Metacore Games, working on Merge Mansion. I've been in the mobile games industry for coming up to 10 years now and uh, previously at Robio and seriously in uh, assorted roles, mainly QA uh, production. Fantastic. Uh, one thing, if everyone can remember today, if you're going to speak to someone, uh, just for everyone at home, mention their name. That way everyone knows who's talking. That would be great. Lovely. So let's kick us off. Yusi, could you please tell us your question and the context behind it? Sure. Uh, since we're here talking about what makes a good producer, uh, obviously there are a lot of of uh, characteristics, skills, and, and, and traits to, to consider. And actually, I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you feel is the most important skill or characteristic for a producer? And, uh, Ryan, you've been here the longest, so you want to start? Thank you for throwing me in the bus. Uh, so uh, for me, um, so most uh, job roles for producers sort of prioritize obviously the organization and the sort of the communication aspects for, for producers obviously that's one of the key key uh, banner points for what a producer does but uh to my mind like for me the most one most important things i'm looking for when i'm uh interviewing producers and for producer roles is the ability to uh lead to the problem solving aspect because uh i think that's a very very um uh, key and important uh um the characters to have especially when you're working in the busy game development uh uh situations so, like at its core, like a producer is, is tasked with making things happen, um, and uh, that often means that you're often to sort of think around the problems uh, that have been presented to you, so that you can find the best way to still execute and still deliver the product that you are uh, trying to work on. Um, and there's the sort of the uh, as much as you kind of can lean into organization part of it, there is still always going to be unexpected things that happen that you need to sort of. Uh, um, find solutions for, as, as the famous Mike Tyson quote goes, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Um, so your job as a producer is to sort of roll with those punches and keep the priorities and focus and sort of understand what is the needs of the product and needs of the other project, as well as the team, uh, to make sure we can still deliver 
even though you encounter these things. And from experience, I've seen uh, even if the uh, person is super organized and put in, in charge of the most robust process in, in a large, sort of uh, well-established uh, project, these bad things can and do still happen. Um, and uh, that person must be able to sort of uh, you know, react on, sort of think on their feet to find the best solution for that problem to keep that pipeline rolling and to keep the sort of the uh, delivery mechanisms going as well. So for me, kind of, I, I think apart from the obvious ones of organization and sort of communication skills, um, it's the problem solving thing is I'm looking for the most in any, uh, any producer role there. I think that's probably my most important one, but uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, Maria has to say on that one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of your points. And I'd like to add that um, maybe the ability to understand how small streams forms big, big rivers, uh, which of course then forms lakes and the skill to see how one dam on one of the rivers can actually affect the entire lake and the whole ecosystem, whether it's about the team or the products. And even better, if you can already see, like foresee one of those forming and you can already react before the dam is being built on those rivers and then affecting the whole lake. Uh, maybe, Laurie, you are going to do from that? Yeah, I, I think you both hit the nail on the head. So I think the key word I would say is adaptability. Uh, so the needs of uh, different projects and different teams are completely different depending on, on what they're working on, uh, what phase they are in the production. Are they in their infancy? Are they a mature team? Are they currently scaling up? So the ability to solve problems, uh, no matter what they are, and, and those problems will be, will be quite diverse and, and quite numerous and being able to juggle those. And, and also what you mentioned about looking at the small details, but also the big picture. So figuring out what is the vision on a high level? Or for the project, whether it be a game or, or something else, and making sure that all of the small details and processes are feeding into that vision and supporting that vision. So enabling people, being a facilitator, a mediator, communicator, whatever, whatever um the team needs. So one one thing that I like to answer when someone asks me, what do you what do you do every day or what what do you think you should be doing today? Uh, my answer is whatever the team needs me to do the most today or that which brings the most value right now, that's the thing that I'll be doing. And that's something that is never static. Ryan, did you have a... Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on the, on the adaptability thing there because I think that's also a very uh, good uh, point to raise is I think I've seen a lot from, uh, especially a lot of younger uh, and sort of younger in, in, in the industry producers is this um, assumption that kind of thing will go sort of buy a textbook or buy a book and it's sort of they can sort of build a process that sort of like will handle all cases and then they don't build in that layer of like uh, sort of room for adaptability and sort of changing of things and sort of uh, reacting to uh, situations that goes down the pipe and again it ties into what Maria is saying about you know understanding what happens if one of these small streams gets blocked and sort of how do the uh, other sort of forces and the other streams sort of uh, sort of move to kind of compensate from that. And that obviously needs to be built into any uh, uh, global understanding of kind of how we're working as a as a project and as a team. Yeah, I, I totally understand uh, everything you guys say. And I agree, agree with that, everything you say. Uh, one thing I, I would like to add is, is that uh, I think a good producer also needs to have like a, the ability to listen to their people because overall, after all, you're working with, uh, with your team. So you need to be able to create create an atmosphere in the team where you actually listen to the people and then everybody feels safe and trusted. So that, that's pretty much the only way you can get things done. And okay, speaking of to getting things done, I think that is also a key factor being a producer to be able to actually make sure that decisions happen because 
yeah, your job is to make, make things happen. So yeah, you need to be able to also tell whoever, whether it's the management or, or, or designers or whoever, you need to be able to tell them that, okay, fine, make a decision, just do it. But yeah, Maria, you had something to add. Yeah, I just want to absolutely agree and highlight that that's perspective because a lot of the times I've seen smaller, bigger companies that there's a lot of talk, a little bit less of an action or agreement and someone who takes those dreams forward, basically. So someone needs to be responsible for it, that it actually happens. So absolutely, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and maybe just to, to build on that, that's, that's, that's something that I've had a lot of actually this, this month that there's all the back and forth and you don't need to be the one making the decisions. You just need to make sure that some decision is made and not be afraid that even if people do make the wrong decision, that at least there's a tentative plan to go forward. So people don't get, don't get stuck. Um, and that's the thing about enabling people. You don't need to make the decisions or, or second guess people or as long as someone does it, that's, that's the key thing and, and get the, get the ball moving forward. And then of course, having all the processes and support in place that enables those decisions to be made in a way that's transparent and that has the least amount of friction. Yeah. So if they just turned to that sort of moving things forward and getting a decision, even if it's not your decision is kind of my favorite question as a producer is when, like, when is this thing going to happen and sort of, uh, trying to sort of put some uh, clear boundaries and goals for some people to actually sort of draw the line in the sand so that we can move this thing forward, um, it, regardless of the decision that's been made and who's making that decision. So. Yeah, and I just want to get back to what Laura said about someone making the wrong decision. Well, that, that's fine. Everybody makes decisions and some are wrong and some are not. But you also have to have the ability to learn from the wrong decisions to know when not to make them again. So yeah, that's that's something else that I think is, is good for a producer to be able to learn and then listen. And act. Question on that. So I've heard it being an issue where it's a producer is kind of managing people on a one-to-one so let's say a bad decision has been made we just established obviously mistakes will happen but how do you communicate that to kind of practically make sure that lessons learned without coming across as you know combative i guess like how do you deliver that feedback does anyone have any ideas um well i guess from my point of view i've always tried to instill the philosophy in the team that kind of uh, it's only a mistake if it happens twice like if that makes sense so uh it's uh, before that, it's a learning opportunity, right? So obviously, kind of, this is a bit of a you know wishy-washy thing. Obviously, some, some mistakes are very, very impactful. We need to sort of uh, make sure we uh, guard against those. Um, but it, again, it comes out to the how you approach the um, the discussion with it. So kind of, uh, if it can be a sort of a, a positive thing, kind of like we are making the the products and the, the team better because of this thing that we've discovered and this sort of problem we've discovered, and now we've kind of closed that hole in in the in the ship. In, close that leak of the pipe um then obviously again, that can be sort of a very very positive thing because it's like yeah we're making this team more solid more stable and sort of uh the whole project more uh you know having more integrity behind it um there's just my thoughts on yeah i totally agree and then and also i think it's quite important to always explain why the decision was wrong why was it a mistake just don't like dictate something and then say hey this is wrong Let's do it the other way, but elaborate why, 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 why do you want to do it another way? Yeah, Maria. Yeah, actually continuing from that, I, I'm a big fan of retrospectives and postmortems because then I can uh, like facilitate 
where we can go through the whys. Why did this happen? What things affected on it? And most importantly, how do we avoid that it doesn't happen twice to become a massive mistakes and what are the learnings from it? And ideally show the action that we didn't just talk about it, but we also actually learned something about it. And everybody knows that, okay, this is the time and space. We don't have to think about it every day, 24 seven. We deal with it. We take action from it and life goes forward. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, in the retros and, and basically any other discussion you're having with the team, uh, come back to the team dynamic, which means that you have to have a, a, a team that all is really able to speak their mind and they dare to say whatever they want. So, yeah. And one good way to do that is whenever I do a mistake, which is quite often, I own that mistake and I say like, hey, this is the thing that I did wrong to show people that it's okay because and usually I I say that I did, made a mistake. Everyone else is all of a sudden a lot more comfortable saying like, oh, this time I did this mistake or we as a team did this mistake. And it's always good whenever you make a mistake then to have some sort of postmortem or an action point for it. The same mistake happens twice. It usually means that there's a problem there that's repeating itself and, and it has to be solved. Uh, and that's something really, really valuable, especially if it's a team that has a lot of lot of new people like like we currently have for our team that's that's getting up that we learn from those there the, there's large benefits and, and lessons in failure and we shouldn't be afraid to make make those mistakes and then and then learn from them as long as someone takes those those things forward and producers are are uh quite pivotal pivotal in in driving that kind of positive change to the team well i definitely second that like i've had that at my time evolutions definitely lead by example in terms of if a mistake has happened and I find that really useful at the start and I've seen it be really useful for new joiners and I feel like because for us it happens on a daily basis we have like a stand-up we stole that from like the tech industry basically like 15-30 minutes talking about you know targets for the day what happened yesterday what didn't happen so well and everyone does that management as well and I feel like because it's such in your face every day it's like almost a given like what Rian said earlier in terms of making that culture like if it's in your face then it's like it's kind of a mistake not to own up to a mistake because everyone else is doing it and you can see the benefit in it's in your face so yeah amazing awesome i want to move on to the next question which is maria maria what is your question in the context behind it yeah so as we all now recognized and we were aware that a lot of the producers are in situations where things change especially companies companies get purchased there's a lot of turnover people come people go Sometimes people stay in similar products for years and stuff like that. So I was wondering, how do you guys inspire others and yourself uh, while organization's mission might change or be the same or anything related to like, how do you inspire your team to follow that mission and give impact and, and like tangible things on, on the mission? Maybe Laura, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, well, one thing is that the mission has to be clear, uh, and that's that's not always a given. Uh, there's nothing worse than doing something and you're not sure exactly why you're doing that thing. That so if your mission as a company has to be clear, has to be clear, and and what you're doing as a team has to be clear. And automatically, when people know what you're doing, exactly why you're doing it, what the goals are, they will automatically take more ownership. And ownership is 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 the key thing when you enable people. Uh, to take ownership, they will automatically become more invested, uh, and they will just perform perform better. And that's the thing that that is then automatically inspiring people. And 
for, for mobile games specifically, it's one thing I like to do is when we work on a feature and we ship a feature since the turnover time between developing something and designing something and actually putting it live is so short, it's really important to share positive player feedback. So you can see that, hey, you worked on this feature last month. It's now live. This is all the positive impact. Oh, this is how it affected the metrics and people are loving this great job. Keep it up because once you can actually see the tangible uh, results of what you've been doing, people are automatically more more inspired. I can say that I totally agree with that, everything. Uh, but I think, yeah, probably, I don't, I don't know if it's the most important thing, but I think it's, it is very important to come back to the like open communication and be honest. And obviously you have to believe the mission yourself and when you do that, then you you show that and you tell everyone, or whether that's the new guy or, or the guy who's been here for 20 years, make sure that they, they also know why are we doing something that we're doing. And just always come back to the communication stuff with everyone. Be open and honest. Yeah, and maybe about the, the honesty. Uh, if something's not good or it doesn't work, it's not good to, to kind of sweep that under a rug. It's good to be honest with yourself and also the team and on a company level as well. If, if we're doing something and it doesn't make any sense, then we say like, hey, yeah, this isn't good. Let's actually think as a team, like, why this is and, and try to figure out what we can do to, to make this better. Yeah, so for my part, just on the word inspired, coming up, thinking about sort of the, uh, how kind of producers are influence that inside the team, like, um, and uh, obviously kind of the, uh, the producer is generally sort of like the totem for the, for the team, um, that kind of, uh, is the, uh, well, between that and any sort of project leaders going on, um, and they are sort of, sort of the focal point for a lot of the discussions about sort of the team health and, and sort of uh, <clears throat> motivation and things like this as well. Um, from my experience at the sort of the team level, kind of the like inspirations are kind of like a feedback loop uh, situation, right? So, like if you're inspired, you're bringing and you're sort of short showing that you're inspired and energized by this thing, you're bringing the energy to the team and which they can then feed on, and then they can sort of take that with them to their do their work. You know, they then sort of uh, pull that into whatever they're creating and show up. There's all these cool things or uh, cool uh, bits that they're making. Uh, and then that sort of feeds back into you because you're sort of being inspired by what they're doing. They're doing all this cool stuff and it's really exciting. And then you sort of have that energy to bring further forward. And it's sort of like a lovely sort of uh, positive feedback loop of, of sort of, uh, uh, you know, mutual energy exchange. Um, but obviously that energy needs to come from somewhere, right? So I think that that kind of, uh, you can't start from, from zero. So, uh, that's something that kind of like saying kind of like that comes down to your own personal thing. Like, do you believe in the company's mission? Can you sort of like uh, champion that for the team uh, and sort of bring the, uh, the uh, energy that they would then sort of draw from to sort of, uh, to kind of believe in that, in that message. Because uh, at the end of the day, kind of like inspiration comes from the sort of, uh, you know, successes of the team and the discussions that I've had that cause all these cool ideas to sort of spark imagination and inspiration. Um, so uh, if the, uh, project is sort of suffering a little bit or since not experience more sort of failures for quote work failures than successes and then it goes back to then sort of the uh, mission statement from the leadership to build that trust back up again right and sort of have a, a clear sort of goal that they can kind of want to sort of uh, can be sort of bought into by both you and then the rest of the team as well uh, Larry sorry you're okay yeah one one thing about remaining inspired yourself I don't know if any of you have, have had this would be interesting to hear your opinions but I've had cases where since I'm uh, a lightning rod for all feedback, whether that's positive or negative. How do you keep yourself from falling into a depression? Keep hearing like only the things that are that are going wrong, 
Um, and how do you keep yourself in, inspired when, when you're exposed to that? It, I, it used to be a problem for me personally before, and it's a skill that I think I've had to had to learn over the years. But how, how do you deal with that person? Oh, yeah, tough, tough question back from you indeed. Uh, I think exactly on the inspiration part, especially us as producers, because we keep seeing these challenges all the time because we need to solve the problems. It can be quite depressing and maybe it's built in our Finnish DNA as well for some of us that we are not the most energetic people at the office, especially on Monday mornings. But I try to draw a conclusion, not just with the team, but also myself, like what are my personal motivations? And I draw the energy from there. So Sometimes maybe the company's decisions or the situation that is happening might be hard to like be super excited and energized by it. But if I can find uh, something that motivates me, it's not often like people have this wrong imagination that it's fame or money, especially in mobile games. Like everybody wants to make the best mobile game ever. But for many of us, it's more about, can I learn something new today? Can I teach something new for someone? Uh, how can I be better tomorrow on my skills? Can I improve my craft, for example? So I tried to find those tiny strings of hope from there and connect that with either my team individuals or just myself when I need it. I think Cryon wants to add something on that. Yeah, and uh, just from my own experience on this sort of, uh, yes, people do come to you with sort of both the successes and the problems. Obviously, you're sort of chief uh, uh, problem receiver um, for, for for the team, sort of trying to solve these problems and sort of remove ro- roadblocks for the team to keep them moving forward and, and uh, doing good things. Um, but also, as a producer, you also have um, a better access to what the bigger picture is for whatever project you're working on. So, kind of in that sense, you have a better grasp of the vision. Uh, I uh, in sort of more more fine grained detail and sort of uh, what sort of is coming ahead uh, compared to a lot of people on, on that might do on the team. And I think from that is, you know, most of the time when you're dealing with these sort of, uh, these problems, sometimes they can be obviously long-term uh, problems that kind of have persisted for quite a while and many weeks, but often they are sort of, uh, you know, you, you can see past the horizon on this sort of thing. So you can see the kind of like, yes, there is a problem in the short term for this, but kind of, we know that we're still on track to make this awesome thing, right? And that itself is sort of, uh, uh, at least from my point, sort of how I sort of uh, tend to sort of approach these things. Like, like these are short-term pains for a sort of like you know a long-term uh, excitement and uh, um, motivation from my side because I can see where we're going because I have obviously I'm the one writing the project plan as it is so I can sort of like see in great detail kind of where we're going with this. So, question: If someone's very new to the business, how do you? Or maybe like we're talking, maybe even before they join, if you're in an interview situation, like how would you? present i guess the project like inspiring to have to be your current project but what would you highlight you think if anyone wants to take that no rush i guess i can uh i think it, that's kind of uh <clears throat> it's very dependent on sort of the team member and sort of what their you know, motivations are right so uh what you know explaining how cool the tech is going to be to an artist is probably not going to sort of sell it very well um, so you have to sort of <clears throat> tailor your response, but again, as a producer, you have eyes on all the different areas of the project, right? So you have your to- like your fingers and everything and sort of like have a good picture, if not sort of fully detailed of, of a good sort of overview of what, what's happening in all these different areas. So it would depend on the person sort of uh, joining the project, what their skill set is and what their motivations are, but, you know, just picking out, um, the, uh, cause every project has a cool thing that they're doing in, in all these different areas and. Obviously, then the the largest thing about that, so about that, is then 
the cohesive whole look and like the sort of the promise of the actual project to the users as well and sort of what it can mean uh, from that. And I think if, you know, by default, there's nothing sort of specific that they sort of latch onto that can be the one you fall back to um, for motivation there. Yeah, I just want to add like double thumbs up for the motivation because if I have interviewed someone who just joined the company, I assume that I, through the interview process, I have understood that person's motivation. So I can definitely rely on those and inspire through those. Uh, but also sometimes the company's mission could be something that we all want to achieve. And then what can we do when we achieve those? So can we grow? Can we make a new game? Can we grow this game? Um, and often those things are very big on their interviews, like to actually reel the people in already at that phase that they know what they can achieve if they join us, basically. So motivation, motivation, and motivation. Yeah. So again, we come to the ability of the producer or whoever's interviewing people to uh, read different or different kind of personalities and, and find out what their motivations are. And I think that plays a big part in basically anything that the producer does, understanding different kind of people. And that and and that varies a lot, depending on 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 the people. Some people are really invested in the project and they want to see like how the numbers are doing, and some people just don't care, and that's fine as well. Like they just want to do their own thing, and they only want to concentrate on their on their own specific specific uh, uh, niche or role within the project, and and that's fine. So it, it it really really depends depends on the on the purpose on the on the role in question. Just to follow up on that, um, I've had it happen. Well, I've had it brought up a couple of times, like in terms of inspire. So I'm thinking in terms of career growth. Like if you're a developer, like where they're gonna go. So like kind of where their head is going. And I just wanted to have a question, kind of specific, but I'm hoping someone has a story here. But when it comes to like a developer wanting to get high in the business there isn't really a role for them they don't really want to do management how do you kind of keep them engaged do you like make a new role called principal some companies that's not possible there isn't like a lead producer in not all companies some of them just have producers and it's just a flat hierarchy like how do you inspire them to stay at the company do you think for like you know for the next five years like any thoughts on this Mary? i think we are lucky in that sense that we don't have a lot of that title hierarchy in Finland, especially like people don't work for the title and it doesn't actually matter a lot. Like me being a producer in different companies have have been different as a day and night. So the title doesn't actually tell anything about my job in that company. So by giving meaningful work. So let's say if that person would like to be a lead producer like I am, but there's no such a position in the company, uh, that person most likely belongs to be a leader for people. So I need to give them a team or position where they can have an impact on the rest of the people in the team. So once again, understanding what they really want and need and the title can provide it. Uh, maybe the salary cap at some point, but even for the salary, if the work is meaningful enough, if you feel that this is what I love to do, it pays more than having high salary, big title in a work that you you absolutely hate actually when you wake up in the morning so we are very blessed in this industry nice no i like that a lot like meaningful work first and then the rest i guess should fall into place right uh awesome good time to move on to the next question which is ryan ryan what is your question and the context behind it uh so we have all uh 
experience the, uh, the joy of sort of joining a new project or having uh, one project fall into another one or starting a new, a new project from scratch is something I'm doing right now and I have to grow the team uh, sort of from, from there. Uh, one of the things I've been sort of reading up a lot on sort of uh, investigating not recently is this idea of uh, what role the producer does the producer play in building uh, the team trust and collaboration amongst the team members and sort of like how do we facilitate that as producers. Um, so um, I have a little question for that one. Lowry? Or you see? You raised his hand. <laughs> oh, sorry, you see. Uh, you see? Okay, uh, yeah, I can go first. Uh, again, my, my favorite topic, people. Uh, I think it, the producer plays a really big role in that. I mean, it all, all depends on the people who, in the team, uh, what what kind of character characters they are. And some are introverted and some are, some are extroverted. And it might happen organically that the atmosphere in the team is very trusting and very, very like open from the beginning or then it might not. So I think it's the producer's role to make sure that the, the team has the like spirit then the atmosphere where people feel actually very safe and they trust each other and, and they respect each other. And that way they, they almost, uh, most certainly communicate openly and very honestly. And that I feel is a big like motivation factor for anyone working in a team is when they feel safe and they, they, they trust each other. So yeah, short answer, but that's that's my take on it. How would you proactively encourage that use? I'm just curious. Again, you have to know know the people. Uh you have to identify different kind of character characteristics that you are you're working with. And obviously it goes case by case. Some people need to be encouraged. Uh some people need to be shown a bit of trust. Uh, you have, you might have to show some vulnerability yourself or it depends. I think that that's again, back to my first question I think one of the most important, uh, like skills for a producer is to identify different kinds of people and then uh, adapt to them uh, loudly. Yeah. That's, that's one of the main things getting used to all the different people because everyone has a different way of working. Everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so you need to know what kind of roles, what kind of people need a little bit more help and guidance with, with moving forward. And some people are completely self-driven that they need very little guidance or, you know, they will, they will handle something and take ownership. They don't need to do much. And some people need a bit of training for that. And it doesn't mean that if someone doesn't know how to do that, that it's not something that can be taught to them. And there's different things that you can do. One thing that I've found that really helps is making, um, a framework for them, or whether it's like documentation framework or process framework, I've held them like, Hey, I don't care exactly how you handle this thing, but here's my guide that you should decide, uh, X, Y, and Z by this date. Here's my recommendation of how to do it. So that's to get you started and then let them, let them figure out the solutions uh, by themselves. That's, that's something that, that has helped a lot because then you know that, that at least if if a person drops the ball or is busy or has other stuff, then there's at least something that's agreed upon and shared, whether it's a Jira task somewhere so that people know like, Hey, this person has, has this thing assigned, I can trust them to handle this because it's, it's they're documented that, that you're doing this by, by this date and, and, and tools and processes and, and this kind of stuff really help increase the level of trust because people know that there's a, there's a fallback system. If you let things develop organically, especially in small teams. And it's, and it's an issue that happens more often than that. small teams that then scale to a really large size of people are, people are used to doing things organically. They're used to one person handling a thing and it just happens at some point. But 
once that person's workload increases or we have to deliver more there are new people that stuff falls through the cracks if we haven't really made it clear who's who's responsible who's accountable who needs to be consulted and informed for for specific things so that's where the structure and, and, and things like that come into place so it's always a balance uh, i say to the team like i don't want to have so much structure that people lose their freedom but enough structure and processes uh that they can rely on it to some extent and it's an age for them so there's a golden middle road somewhere in the middle and it's completely different for for different teams it, it depends exactly on what you're doing okay. i strongly believe that the producer is is kind of the builder of the trust and as you mentioned you need to know those people so how do you actually know those is I think one of the most important work that we do on a daily basis is be the facilitator for that open communication and kind of encouraging others to express their expectations, their hopes, their dreams, and have that safe space to do so. Especially even if, the, let's say you have a small team and it has formed quite naturally, they know what they do, and then you introduce someone new, it, it can be very hard to suddenly jump on that team. So exactly having those retros, maybe even just dailies, that you set those frameworks and those boundaries that this is where you can discuss, this is where you should tell the others what you need, what you want, what is blocking you, and making sure they know when to do so. And if it doesn't come naturally from a lot of people, you absolutely need to encourage them. And I think you mentioned also show it and lead it by example by doing it yourself as well. And like asking stupid questions every now and then to show that there are no stupid questions and that you can ask these things if you don't know, if you're not sure. So I don't know, just being you, being very humane and like allowing those discussions to happen. Yeah, I think uh, um, I definitely agree with a lot of these points. Like I think uh, it's very hard to build sort of the t- trust within the team and in, in, into team between the team members, like if they don't trust you. And I think that's sort of like the the first uh, um, thing that I was always want to make sure I'm establishing in a new project, a new team is that kind of, uh, you know, they can sort of turn to me and sort of trust what I'm saying is correct through, you know, demonstrating this through action, right? So making sure that kind of, if I say something, it does happen, right? It does happen in in a good time. Like if it's like um, uh, in a discussion with sort of, you know, project direction, whatever. I'm sort of fighting the corner for the team in in in, in those discussions and sort of being seen to be do, to be do, do so, right? So that kind of if they sort of have that sort of infer that trust into me, then they can sort of trust that I will then help sort of to resolve these conflicts within the team if there are any conflicts in terms of uh, people trusting one another there. And then also obviously once you have built that, then it's then uh, giving them the, the team space to uh, sort of show that they're trusted. So kind of like. Uh, you know, trusting them that they have their own agency and that they can sort of make their own decisions and, and sort of, uh, um, you know, be trusted to sort of own those tasks. And then they'll take that, uh, you showing them trust will sort of permeate through the rest of the team and then the rest of the team will also start sort of buying into that a bit as well. And like you said, Maria, like the, the retros are a huge engine for this, right? This should be a big open space where, as you were saying, like anyone could feel that they could be talking about anything without any sort of fear of reprisals, right? Even if it is somewhat negative for some of the things that come up like you're there sort of to turn that into a positive or turn it into a sort of like a sort of solution that we can all the entire team can get behind uh, and, and move forward with a uh, you know a good heart um, uh, from there and obviously that also then ties into like coaching people on feedback and all these other things that kind of sort of come from that which is also very very important because uh, feedback is uh, often overlooked but it is a super super important uh, uh, thing to sort of keep an eye on in terms of how people are talking to one another um, so that you do get those uh, 
you know, trust building moments, but it does take time, right? These things do don't happen overnight. It takes some time to build these things up, but you know, just that small consistent actions to sort of uh, to build it up with the rest of the team and in between the team as well. But Mario, sorry. Yeah, I just want to add to that. It, I kind of see the funny way that while for the product, we are the bulldozers making sure that there's no blockers for the product to go forward, but for the people, you're kind of like, chameleons that if you need a friend, you need a shoulder to cry on, you need a mom to set your boundaries, you need your dad there to teach you something, like we need to be all of those people to all the team members that we have. Sure. Yeah, it's like this you were saying, like, like you were saying earlier, like it's the you know, people first and sort of knowing your team and knowing how to sort of like uh, uh, represent them in sort of the best way and in, on an individual basis as well, not just the whole team as well. And one thing that's helped us a lot um, in addition to coming up with agreed upon processes and a, and a framework to do things. One thing that's, uh, builds up team trust and, and collaboration is information sharing and how we, how we share information, especially after COVID and this whole hybrid working model, making sure that all the relevant people are informed of things. Um, when it's a small team, you can rely on people being in the same room and talking to one another organically, but once it gets to a certain point, you need to make sure that discussions aren't happening in privacy private Slack channels or DMs, uh, if meetings are, are had, relevant people are invited to them, people run meetings in the correct way, share meeting notes, design documents and, and decisions that are made are completely transparent within the team. When people know that those exist and, uh, they can refer to them and they know that they will exist for upcoming features, um, they can be in a situation where they feel more safe and they know that okay, I don't need to intrude upon this thing or, or bug this person because I know that the meeting notes and all the documentation will exist in some, some, at some point down the line. Uh, that's something that's, that's helped us a lot. Yeah. And that's also just to quickly turn to that one as well. Like there is this, uh, phenomenon since the Corona times where, um, if it is not in a public sort of space, that everyone can see, but kind of it, people assume that something's going on, uh, that they kind of can't see and obviously trying to sort of like break down those walls to show that there is everything is open everything is uh, visible there are no secrets here and just sort of uh, uh we were all in this together no one's uh taking it to team it to dms as it were how is that done practically is like meeting notes just shared with everyone or is it shared with certain people or does anyone got any idea on that yeah absolutely like i you know at, after every year, I actually check who has been the most active on Slack. And it's always the producers, because we actually ping so many people. We notify them that there's something new you should be reading on. We share those threads in different channels. We link so much stuff to the Slack that it's it's one of the best tools. But of course, in addition, if you use Confluence, Shira, Moodboards, uh, Myro, whatever you use, you need to be able to link it. I personally hate when someone in the meetings is like, oh yeah, this is... This is in some of these slides. And then there's no follow-up. Where are those slides? Can I access those? Where, like, where are those? So as a producer, I want to make sure that everybody knows where the information is, basically. <laughs> One of the things we do is that every single feature or event in the game has its corresponding Slack channel so that people know that if I need information on a specific thing, I can go there. I can view the entire conversation history. All of the epics are pinned there. All of the documentation is pinned there. All the meeting notes are open and we use Notion, which I love as a tool. So you can see everyone's, all the meetings that have been had in the, in the previous week, all the shared meeting notes, everything that's been discussed. So if a meeting happened that you weren't even aware of, that is potentially relevant to you, even if no one pings you specifically, there's a list there that you can see like, hey, oh, this meeting took place. That's interesting. Oh, this actually does affect me. 
and then you can you can find stuff out like that so yeah having the information everywhere um and then also the risk with having information is that then someone has to keep it up to date and if it's not up to date that also needs to be communicated but um there's never really a downside from having too much information and, and also over communicating and slack and pinging people even if you're not sure it's necessary and another thing is related to meeting culture itself is i try to invite everyone that i can in a meeting but if there are uh, people who don't need to be there i mark them as optional and then they know that what our meeting culture is that okay i i know this meeting took place i don't have to attend but just knowing that that meeting took place is super important for them and having the option to attend if they have time and if they have something to contribute and then having the option also to leave if they're busy well, that's something that that is to be agreed upon as a team and we've all, all gone over that at Metacore like hey this is our at a meeting culture and these are the guides how things should be run that's helped us a lot yeah just just really like yeah oversharing is the is the, the king like there's no such thing as too much information like uh you may have to sort of repeat this a few times but obviously that's key but obviously the other one i think we all use slack here right is just no private chat slack channels everything should be public everything should be accessible by uh by anyone who kind of was not the beauty of slack is that if it isn't relevant to you it doesn't appear you unless you get sort of pulled into this right but you should still have the option to go in and see the information that's been posted there if you join later on for example or um if you suddenly you know switch teams to a sort of a different focus uh things like that they should be able to access this at any point um and uh, keep that sort of free free to use yeah maybe one like uh just a normal weekly example of that it um, we are designing something new and it's not relevant to everyone, but already in the early of the week, I mentioned in a public Slack channel of that specific game that, Hey, during this week on X day, X time, we are having this meeting. I am expecting person ABC joining everyone else. You're optional. Feel free to join if you want. And then on that date, when the meeting is, I just remind it on the dailies for each of the teams. And then most likely when we have any results or notes from that meeting, I share them either on our. Friday meeting or production meeting or just in a public all over channel that everybody reads so they know like and there's a repetition because maybe on the early part of the week someone was on a sick leave or just was not available and that information may have missed so repetition is a king. <laughs> yeah, partly on the sharing of information but also about how to engage people in, in different decisions is that uh, we are using like a Slack channel for just decisions. So every time someone is making a decision that impacts the whole entire team or, or the whole game, whether it's a design decision or something, they write the decision over there, they explain what, what they're making, uh, what they're about to decide, how it impacts everything, and then just anyone who can or wants, they can go comment. And it's just always given a time frame of like, hey, I'm making decision by Friday afternoon. So, and everyone's in the team, in the, in the Slack channel, so. I think that that's a good good way to like share information, engage in have people engaged as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that. that is amazing. Like I just thought of like ten examples where that would have been fantastic. You know, when you just get random UI updates, and I'm like, no one's asked us. This is, has ruined everything. And yeah, uh, and that's from a recruiter, so I can't imagine as like a you know game production crazy. No, I don't really like that. Awesome, good time. We can move on to the final question. Uh, which is from Larry. Larry, what is your question and the context behind it? My question is, how big of a part do you think character traits like empathy and vulnerability play in great leadership? Uh, some context for this is that 
producers automatically fall into some sort of leadership role, uh, some more extend, some a little bit less um, of leadership in itself as its own skill. And maybe I'll disagree a little bit with the with the question itself that I wouldn't say empathy and vulnerability are character traits, but they're also skills that, that you can learn over time. Um, but yeah, uh, it would be interesting here from from you guys. Like, how do you exercise that in your in your day to day life, and how important is to you as producers? And um, who should I ask? Uh, is anyone volunteer? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Again, talking about people skills. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, I think it's a very very big thing very important and uh well, i think ryan said that it's like leading by example so obviously you have to have empathy to to actually be able to to understand what the other pe person feels and well and again you come to the point of uh knowing what to talk to or how to talk to your your employees or our team or our superiors or whoever so yeah yeah just have to be able to understand others and 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 lead by example that leads to motivation and then trust and all that got nothing to get but i think maria you want to say it. yeah i just want to continue from that like uh that as a leader like we can help the team members to communicate more efficiently and uh, i want to return back to the understanding the why so i hate when people think that all oh, leaders are born no actually we can learn these skills and we can teach others to learn these skills and Empathy is one of the biggest things here because it's just placing yourselves on the other person's shoes, whether that person is experiencing a big life change or maybe some medical situation, illness or whatever is happening. Uh, you can learn to understand what that person is going through. And when you understand that why, then it's easier to see and communicate to the rest of the people. Why is this person behaving like this? How can we help that person? And so on. So it, it definitely comes to the wise and just empathy, understanding what we as human beings feel, not just how we work, but what is the motivation, the thinking, the why, the fears and the hopes behind of all of those actions that we show to others. And that, of course, comes with the fact that I need to show that from myself as well. So whatever happens in my life, of course, I want to keep some sort of boundaries with my private life and my work life, uh, but in a like positive, safe boundaries. I do want to show how I feel if I have a bad migraine, I have a really bad day. I might bring it up to the team and say like, guys, I'm sorry, I have a really bad day today. I try to make it as best, but I have a massive headache. So they know not to poke me about maybe not so unnecessary things during that day. They might give me more time before they come with some questions or troubles and maybe they don't expect me to join to every single meeting during that day. So lead by example, understand teach others. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually reading on something about uh, uh, empathy versus sympathy uh, very recently. So it's actually quite an interesting thing for me because it's uh, basically sympathy is uh, like says like, you know, I'm sorry, kind of that must be awful. Whereas empathy says like, I, I share your pain. Like it, this is, this is awful, right? So like uh, empathy is like a super important factor for like when you're working as part of a close-knit team because it's not that you're uh, sort of viewing it from, you know, that, oh, that sucks, but that's not my department or that's not my sort of direct problem. It's like you're sharing that problem with the rest of the team, right? So if there is a problem with, again, this is a very, very sort of team-focused sort of uh, thinking about it, but like if there is a, a problem with the sort of the, the team or the project that kind of working on, there's a sort of a pain point you've hit there, like you are part of the sort of the, the sort of, 
you know, oh, that sucks group. And sort of that's an important thing to carry forward. And I think kind of that means that you're, you know, <clears throat> things you're not, everything means that you're not the sort of the guy in charge who understands but doesn't sort of, who understands but doesn't relate to the team stresses. Like you're part of the team's stresses and sort of part of the kind of, uh, the sort of, sort of shared collective. So it's more like, akin to like a community representative like you know so you're still part of the community that you're representing you're still still sharing in the sort of the successes and the struggles of, of that group um and i think that's uh, like a super important thing because it means you have their voice and you'll have their um you know, experiences going forward yeah we kind of we share the burden with the team members yep. that is like magic when you're building the trust because you actually show that you understand not just say that oh yeah good luck with that tough stuff and when you can build the trust through that kind of thing, I think that's one of the biggest things that can carry the teams through difficult times because they know they can rely on you when things go south. So loving everything that you said, Ryan. <laughs> Have any of you ever had a problem where uh, you have to filter yourself if, if things are going really badly and, and things are negative, what's the correct balance? Like, should you be completely honest and open about it and appear human? Because I agree that's important. And where would you draw the line between, hey, now I'm being too negative and it's going to poison the atmosphere versus like, well, I should be honest if something's frustrating in the project. Have you ever been in a situation where you have to kind of think like, how should I now present myself outwardly versus how you really feel? Uh, I guess I can uh, answer that one. Uh, first, uh, yes. Uh... But I've definitely been in that situation many times, unfortunately. Um, but the uh, the way that I would see it is uh, I'm strongly in the sort of camp that honesty is the best solution and sort of open, honest communication to sort of explain what the problem is and more importantly, what the next steps and the solutions are going to be or what we're going to do next is also the most important thing. So I think when it comes to uh, having to deal bad news to the team, uh, there's no point in sort of like trying to uh, you know, obfuscate it or kind of hide it. It is much more better to get into the open, but you almost always come with a sort of uh, what happens next and sort of like the team should be reassured like, like they have your trust that kind of like you are going to do something to handle this or we're going to work together to handle this in some way. And there's a, as there is a plan for what happens next, right? Um, you can't just come with this sort of, you know, problem and then sort of leave it at the table and sort of walk away. That's the that's probably a, a bad move, but uh, I've always uh, sort of, again, if I am open about these things with the team, I kind of build, helps build this trust that we've been talking about throughout the course of this, uh, this show, right? So kind of the more they feel that they are trusted to sort of have this information and sort of be you know, professionals and sort of understand kind of what the next steps are, that sort of be, uh, feed back into the trust with the whole team because they feel that they are uh, listened to and sort of valid, valued as, as sort of uh, for their opinions and their uh, professional nature yeah absolutely i i probably still have to learn a thing or two related to this i may be a little bit too honest sometimes but what i have learned very useful is that when i receive some negative news that i know will make people mad or angry or sad or frustrated i usually take a little bit of time to think it myself through and because we are producers we are naturally thinking how to solve this problem so exactly like Ryan said i have a solution ready when i go in front of the team but I do lay it out like, if it really frustrates me, I do say it out loud. And then I try to show them by example, but hey, there's a solution, there's a silver lining. And I usually try to find the silver lining as well to like, hey, this thing sucks, but also it might have this positive thing on this. And at least we can learn from this. And this is how we will avoid this in the future, da, da, da. And then jump to the solution. So we don't 
stick in that bad vibe about it too long, but I do want to have exactly that open space that now you can rant about this, let it out, bring it out, and then we'll deal with this kind of thing. So they know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so to say. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Having the space for people to rent, that that works. Just let them know that you're listening and that they can say whatever they want. I think it also ties back into this uh, idea of vulnerability in, in leadership, right? So kind of uh, you are by nature, when you discuss these sort of uh, big team impacting changes and sort of problems that you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position, right? So kind of uh, you are, uh, um, you know, bring, coming, bringing the back the being the bearer of bad news and sort of bringing, bringing this to team, being the messenger of darkness, right? So kind of, um, you know, that's sort of one example of like where sort of vulnerability plays into the leadership and being able to, to show that sort of uh, uh, openness and sort of uh, inside of yourself with the team again does help uh, build the trust that kind of they can see you as a real person. They're not, you know, there's, there's the jokes sort of like the producers, the guy at the back cracking the whip and sort of like move things faster and get things done quicker. But actually, it's kind of more like you were saying that it's more about people and sort of like motivating people and keeping people sort of engaged and trust and the trust moving. Um, so that's definitely plays a huge part in modern producer for sure. And one thing related to to empathy and one thing I struggled with when I started being a producer and and one thing I was warned about I was actually asked like, hey, we've been thinking that you could be a producer, but we're worried you're too nice for this. And I was trying to think like, well, what does that mean? And then I realized that I I have a lot of empathy to the point that. The start when I started my career as a producer, I took other people's problems personally. I thought it was like a personal failing on my part. My part is that something? It's something that I've learned uh, to deal with, and, and that's why I said in the on the start when I was asking my question, that's a skill, something that you build upon. I think it's good to start from a position of being an, a person with empathy, uh, but then being able through experience to learn at what point. Do you need to uh, stop taking personally or think of it as a personal defeat if someone is unhappy and try to separate that? But have any of you experienced that that as well when you, when you find yourself influenced kind of emotionally or mentally by by people complaining? Oh, just uh, on on the subject of the uh, the being too nice thing. I think from what I've seen is there is uh, a tendency to confuse sort of like um, being too nice with not being able to sell like to tell the hard truths, right? So there's 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 two arms there. So kind of if you are um, you know, being too nice, that's outside of you. If you're being uh, too nice, it's very different from you don't have the confidence and sort of uh, strength within yourself to sort of like tell the bad things and make people feel bad. Another thing that kind of, uh, to me, there's sort of like two separate things. And I've seen that in, especially in interviews before where people have called out this, this producer candidate as sort of like, he seems a bit too nice to be a producer. And I'm like, well, he would be very, very tactful about how you would say it, but he would say the hard things and he would say the kind of, uh, that you know, have to address the tough issues that need to be said, and I think that kind of that shows that um, it sort of addressed that one quickly. Yeah, I want to add add on that that uh, also I think sugarcoating things too much. It's plain and straightforward lying actually. So you will be caught up on that at one point or another, and that will eat the trust. So just that's probably the worst thing you could do is bring the bad news and sugarcoat it to be very good and exciting and fun our company is gonna die actually but now uh, yeah you got a new job so no uh you will be caught on that people are not stupid we are human so yeah just don't lie people please that that will make life difficult for everyone lovely this is a quick segue just because we have a few more minutes here i wanted to just ask a recruitment question quickly so it's very small so 
in this example where you need to make a business case for a new hire, if you've ever had that as an example, what did you focus on uh, in that business case? Like, what did you highlight? Uh, if anyone wants to take that, if not, I'll just pick someone random. Sorry, other things. Ooh. Ooh. Lowry, do you want to go first? So what, what are the things that you would define as part of the business case when doing the hire? What would you highlight? So I'm thinking like impact, like, oh, it's going to save us this amount of time. Maybe we're missing this. That's two examples. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, what what the impact would be on the, on the project and what the benefit would be to the team. So what's the measurable thing that they would bring to the project in terms of like, well, this person will enable us to ship feature X, Y, and Z or how they would help the team. This, this person will help the team do this and this and this thing and assess this person. So trying to measure it in, in some way, whether it's direct business impact or uh, kind of like a side benefit to the team. And Maria? And I just wanted to uh, actually find a fact for the listeners. Ryan here used to interview me, so I'm very interested to hear what were you actually thinking when you did interview me and you did hire me at that time. So <laughs> bring it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, when it comes to the business case, again, from my mind, it very much depends again on... Um, you know, where the project is, where the team is, and sort of, uh, there's, there's multiple different factors that can sort of make it up. So obviously if we're talking about sort of uh, taking in a new project from scratch and growing it out sort of to launch, kind of like that sort of is very heavily tied to the headcount plan for how you want to grow into like pre-production, production, sort of like scaling the team uh, and from there. And that comes down to kind of, um, like Larry said, like sort of what, you know, business case, what kind of usage case that they, they bring there. Uh, when it comes to the live up side, I think that's still, um, you know, again, there is some element tied to sort of what are the big plans that we have for um, for the project and sort of like what the needs of the team we need to have to sort of support that. And I think that's kind of the, the main thing that we wanted to uh, do there. And specifically with Marie's case, for example, we, we were kind of uh, in desperate need of uh, more hands to sort of uh, fast forward our feature development um, uh, arm uh, inside the team. So we wanted to have more experienced producers to come on to sort of like, uh, you know, do awesome production work to kind of uh, uh, turn around and fast these uh, new features for a lot of very, uh, very much in live uh, game uh, and sort of understand sort of the intricacies of sort of development in that sort of live ops space and sort of publishing to a to a live to a live game. Yeah, and I, I remember also like I believe I asked something like what are the challenges that the team is having so I could already bring the solutions to the interview myself like what are the things that they struggle with. And we used to have this habit that we actually did track it multiple ways. So we have the surveys, how does the team feel about the leadership, the company and so on. And then also in our retros, we did have this uh, school rating system. So I could actually monitor myself. Am I bringing good vibes or good things for this team? Am I increasing their happiness and their production within every single sprint? So um, something to track forward. It, it's hard to put it in our exact words, what you bring, but at least you can actually monitor it, what it is, and is it helping the team, basically. Fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for that. And I think we'll leave it there. Uh, this has been the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, all four of you, Maria, Yusi, Lowry, and Ryan. You've been great today. And thank you for providing your insight. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled... P-H-O-K-O-U.